All right. Uh, this is Daniel 6, 1 to 28. It pleased Darius to uh, appoint the uh, satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his uh, exceptional qualities that the king planned that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went, went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room, where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he, has done, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking, for, uh, asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to God or man except to you, O king, will be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree that you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king has issued can be changed. So the king gave the order that they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, who you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the, king sealed it, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and because he could not sleep. At the first light, at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continuously, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who, brought, who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, 
the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the, uh, during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persians. <laughs> I don't want to give you a pat on the back. <laughs> that was a bit of a, a mammoth passage, wasn't it? But what a cool story. Um, but before we crack on with, with Daniel, I'm hoping I um, have a power... I've got a few slides that are going to come up on the screen. Hopefully. Okay, can we have the first one? So it's a bit of a guessing game. What's the list? What's this logo? No, here we go. Um, can anyone tell me who, who's this? Can I have to say a bit louder? Uh, brilliant. What influence did he have on the world? Massive. In what context? Civil rights, thank you. Can we have the next one? What about this? Mother Teresa, okay. What, in, what influence in the world did Mother Teresa have? Compassion, yeah. She worked with the poorest of the poor. Can we have the next one, please? What about this deed? No. Anyone have a little stab of a guess? No? Okay, let me introduce you to the founder of Krispy Kreme Donuts. Okay? Uh, I don't know about you, but I am so thankful for this man because those donuts are to die for. Okay? And his name is Vernon Rudolph, which actually I think is a really cool name. Next one. All right, this young lady. Malala. What was, um, how did Malala influence the world? Yes, girls of education. Next one. I like this one. Who is it? Yeah. How did he influence the world? Badly. Yeah. Horrifically. Okay. Next one. What about this one? Heidi Baker. Um, Heidi Baker, if you don't know, she's a missionary um, in Mozambique. Um, she's someone that's in, um, influenced my, my faith and my walk. Um, she's planted thousands of churches and works with the poorest of the poor. Next one. Who's this? Anyone else have a guess? No? I had the same this morning. Do you know, it's obviously not a flattering um, picture. She would kill me if she was here. Actually, let me introduce you. This is my late best friend. Um, and she was incredibly influential in my life. Um, I am incredibly thankful that she, um, she entered. We were vastly different. She couldn't get further left brain, and I couldn't be further right brain. Um, I mean, she's a mathematician. I can't even, I can't even add up. Um, but um, she was influential in that she, she saw something in me, um, and she saw treasure in me, and she saw giftings in me when, at a time when I just did not see them at all. And she called them out, and she kicked me up the bum. And she was relentless 
in, um, in the way that um, she championed me on. And I would not be standing here in front of you guys um, speaking if it was not for this woman. And she was a mighty woman of God. Next one. What about this one? So I don't have a picture of this lady, but anyone have a little stab at this one? It's not Beatrix Potter. No. Although I did read her books. Anyone? No? Okay. Miss Potter, believe it or not, was my art teacher. Now, I'll put my hands up at the, um, when I was in the secondary school, I did have the attitude the size of Texas. Um, but again, uh, Miss Potter, um, art was probably the only lesson I engaged with. Um, and she saw, again, she saw something in me. She saw way past my attitude. And again, she just continued to speak encouragement into me. I would love to tell you that I listened to her. I would love to tell you that I put her advice on board. I didn't. I, I was 16. And I thought I knew much better than her. Until a lot later. And I wish I could go back and find Miss Potter and actually say thank you. Because actually, those words of encouragement have influenced me, again, in believing that actually I can be somebody, that I can actually do something. So that's my teacher. So why, am I, why, did, why did I show you that? All of these people are people of influence. And in fact, if you are sat here tonight, and you are breathing, and you are a human, okay, and you have friends, and you live in a neighborhood with neighbors, you have a sphere of influence. Unless you're a hermit, and don't come out of your house, and don't talk to anybody, you have a sphere of influence. And tonight, um, as we delve into the story of Daniel, I want to say, for me, Daniel was a man of great influence. Daniel, in, in the course of his time, we're going to be jumping in at chapter 6, which is kind of like towards the end of his life, actually. But um, prior to that, in his lifetime, Daniel influenced the thoughts, actions, and beliefs of three kings, his character influenced how others around him viewed him and the God that he believed in. So I'm going to give you a quick fly-through of context. If you, if you haven't been um, as part of the course, just to kind of, or if you're not that familiar with the um, awesome dude who is Daniel, let me kind of bring you up to speed. Daniel was, um, he was an Israelite. He, was, um, he lived a, a jolly long time ago. And, um, and he, um, I don't know if he actually lived in Judah, I think he did, didn't he? Um, but he lived at a time when um, Israel um, was um, basically besieged by the enemy Babylonians, and they basically just desecrated Jerusalem. And while they were doing that, what they did is they took the finest young men, the hot ones, the ones that looked nice, the learned ones, the ones that had potential. They took the young men and they carted them off 900 miles away to Babylon. And Daniel and um, his three friends, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, were part of that journey. And they were took into captivity. They were took to this alien, um, this alien um, culture, um, this different place. I mean, it's 900 miles away. Um, they, they spoke differently. And from the moment they, they stepped into this new land, they were given new names, new identities. And um, they were set on this kind of like, they were sent into a school, so to speak, um, where they were to be taught the way of the Babylonians. And um, the first couple of chapters, what we read about Daniel and his friends was they were uncompromising in who they were. They didn't forget where they came from. They were uncompromising in their faith and belief in their God. And um, from the word go, even though they were in an alien enemy territory, 
They choose to serve in a way, but they would not defile themselves. Instantly, we find out that he was a man of character at a young age. These dudes. That was under the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. He, um, um, it says that in the first, um, first chapter that actually there was none like them. It says that they were incredibly learned, they had wisdom, they had knowledge of all kinds. And, um, and when the king kind of saw them, he recognized that there was something different about these young men. And they rose to great authority very, very quickly. Daniel in particular, and Daniel was known for interpretation of dreams and visions. And um, he was definitely favored. Um, under the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel, he, he um, lived and he served very humbly, and um, he, he saw the madness of the king. The king went a bit bonkers. The, then the king um, um, had his sanity returned. He continued to, to be an authority under his reign. And then we hear that he then um, continued to be in a position of authority under Nebuchadnezzar's son, King Belshazzar. And interestingly, at first, Belshazzar didn't really know about Daniel. Um, he wasn't that known, so I wonder if he just worked under the radar. And then at the end of the story, again, Belshazzar has this, this amazing experience, if you can call it that, of the writing of the wall, and they remember Daniel, and they remember his gift and his wisdom of being able to interpret. So they bring him in, and again, he is, he's literally each time given greater responsibility, greater authority. There was something about Daniel that was recognizable. And then, um, just before um, Sam read, we pick up, and, and unfortunately for the Babylonians, it all goes a bit pear-shaped for them, because um, the enemies, the, the Medes and the Persians, come and desecrate them. Um, but in it, Daniel is still there. And um, we have a new ruler now, um, and he is King, um, Darius. And, um, <laughs> and again, from the word go, we read that... Um, Darius saw something in Daniel. What was it about Daniel? I wonder what was those first conversations. There's this enemy. He, he wouldn't have known Daniel from Adam. Yet there was something about Daniel that he chose to keep Daniel in authority. And actually in verse 3, we read that Daniel so distinguished himself among the chief ministers and the satraps, pause there. If you don't know what a satrap is, like I didn't, I Googled it just to give you a little clue. It is apparently a local governor in ancient Persia. Who knew? That's a satrap. Learned something today, I did. Um, um, so they said, Daniel so extinguished himself among the chief ministers and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. This is an enemy king. And um, Daniel, at this point in his life, is not a young man. It's estimated that he's around about 80 years old. Yet he saw something. He saw something in da Daniel, sorry, enough that he was going to make him and set him over the whole kingdom. Daniel was a man of great influence. And that's the thing that I want to focus on today, is, is what was it? What was it about Daniel that gave him such a great influence. And what can we learn from it? And um, unfortunately for Daniel though, as we hear in the story that his favor wasn't actually liked by everybody. And, um, and it's interesting, we can delve a little bit into his character because the other 120 um, local governors and the other two ministers, um, let's be honest, they were just jealous of him. And it all, 
Jealousy, or maybe they were just scared of losing their jobs. They've heard on the grapevine that um, the king is about to, to make Daniel um, sort of lord over everything. Where does that leave them? So they begin to plot. And they're like, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll come up with something. There must be something about this Daniel. And we'll just have him sacked. Let's just have, remove him and we'll be all right. We'll still have our jobs. And they began to dig. And they dug into how he worked, how he lived. And they couldn't find any fault with him. They could find no fault with him um, in the way, that he, um, the way that he worked. In verse 4, it says they found no corruption in him. And I mean, guys, this was in Babylon. The place was full of corruption. Yet he was with no corruption because he was trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent. So they're like digging, they're like, pants, we can't find anything. What do we do? There must be something about this Daniel. And there was, there was one thing, one thing that stood out for them, for Daniel. And that was that he was uncompromising in his faith and belief of his God. So they came up with this idea. They went along to the, the new king. They stroked his ego. They said, you are amazing. Do you know what? We've got this amazing idea to welcome you into this new kingdom. Let us make a rule. Let's do a decree for the next 30 days. We will tell you how wonderful you are. We will tell you how mighty you are. What a great warrior you are. We'll do this law that nobody would worship another god or another man. We will just tell you for the next 30 days how flipping amazing you are. Now, I don't know about you, but as a new king, I get it. You know, he's like, wow, yeah, why not? Why would he say no? But the one thing about this kid is um, Darius is he didn't realize is he was about to set a trap for one of his most excellent men. He was blinded by the flattery. His ego got in the way. So he signed it. He wrote it. He signed it. He decreed it. So what did Daniel do? And I asked the question this morning is, you know, we live in a, in a free country. We get to come here and we get to openly worship. We get to openly pray and, and express our love for our God. But what would our response be if suddenly in this country, just like in some countries in the world, it was suddenly declared law that you couldn't do that, that you couldn't pray anymore, that you couldn't meet to worship? What would our response be? And I find that actually quite challenging. What, what would my response be? What was Daniel's response? says that in verse 10, Daniel, having heard of the decree, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem, where three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had always done before. And that amazes me. He just carried on. He just did what he always did. As a man of character, and I was kind of like thinking about it, actually. You know, Daniel, he, he could have kind of gone home and maybe instead of kneeling in front of the open window, he could have maybe found a corner in the house where he wouldn't be seen and prayed. He could have stood for prayer, kneeling for prayer in an open window is blatantly 
making a message. It's making a statement. He could have, I don't know, while he was cooking, prayed. Maybe he could have just prayed silently in his own mind. But we read that actually he chose not to do that. He chose to openly kneel down in front of an open window where the whole world could see. And so, no, I'm going to do what I always do. I'm going to pray to my God. And I just think that's just incredible and very inspirational. And there's five things I quickly want to pick out about Daniel's prayer life. Because I think, in my personal opinion, I think, I think that Daniel's character, Daniel's favor, that something that made Daniel Daniel was birthed and watered out of his relationship and his prayer with his God. I think there is something about when we come into the presence of God that it changes us, that it moves us. If you want to grow in character, spend time with God. And Daniel did this. So Daniel is uncompromising. He doesn't shy away. He's not afraid. In his his later years of life, he's like, this is what I've always done. He was reverent. He knelt to pray. That's just a beautiful posture of humility. And it was a habit. It says that he did it just like he did before. And this man was working in public office. I don't know about you, I reckon he must have lived a busy life. Incredibly busy life. Yet we read that he had a habit of stopping. He made time. He brought in and he developed a habit of praying three times a day. And I don't know about you, but that challenges me. And I've been asking myself this week is, what does my habit of prayer look like? What does my habit of prayer look like when suddenly um, it gets really busy or things interrupt? Do I make it a priority? Is it a habit for me? And this one, it was full of thanksgiving. His prayers were full of thanksgiving. I don't know about you when the put hits the fan. You know when you're like, you're in trouble and things just are going not the right way. Are your prayers full of thanksgiving? And again, I find that really challenging. I know for me, if I own up to it, sometimes, you know, if I'm in trouble, maybe my prayer would be, God, I need your help. I'll probably start there. But we read that Daniel's prayers were full of thanksgiving. And it also tells this last one is that he had a passion for it. The fact that he knelt in front of a window that faced Jerusalem. He never forgot where he came from. He never forgot his roots. And at those times, Jerusalem stood for the presence of God. And I wonder what his heart must have felt like in those moments when he knelt and he longed. I mean, this is like 900 miles. It wasn't a glimmer on the horizon. It was just a longing and a hope. He had never returned home. Remember, he was a captive. He had been living in captivity pretty much for the best part of his life. He's an old man, and he's on his knees, and he's reminding himself 
of his God. I do truly believe there is something incredibly powerful when we choose to spend time with God. And um, I didn't do this this morning, but it came as I was driving home from this morning. Actually, um, I was thinking about this and, and the people that have influenced my life in my journey, particularly my faith journey. And can I tell you that um, by my, my late best friend, um, most of them, we're in their later years. I remember being a very young mum in my early 20s, like proper winging it, you know, newly married, trying to work out how to be a good wife, you know, and I needed a lot of help, okay? And being a young mum, and, and out of my friends, I was the only one, um, no, you know, and just not knowing where to go and where to turn. And I remember rocking up to church some days going, oh my gosh, what am I doing? And there would be these women, these women in their later life, and they, they took me under their wing. And I tell you, these women were incredible. These women were so full of wisdom. And they just loved me, and they encouraged me, and they prayed for me. My golly, did they know how to pray. Enough so that they, they met with me on a weekly basis. They taught me how to pray. They taught me about faithfulness. They taught me about that um, when times get hard, that God comes through. When I look back now, and I've had a measly only 15 years, I mean, I'm like a little babe. I've got so much to learn. I am incredibly thankful for those women um, that spoke into my life. And, um, and when I was driving home, I was just like giving thanks for them. And then I look around here and I see men and women in this place that you might be in your latter years. And you know, sometimes us as church, we focus sometimes, don't we? You hear a lot of it from the front is it's about the next generation. And I'm a youth pastor. I'm so digging them. I love them to bits. But do you know what? I just want, in this moment, I want to honor you if you're a mighty oak. And you have been faithful and you have been serving God for a long time. I want to honor you today. And I want to say we need you just as much as we need the next generation. Because you bring a depth of spirituality. You bring, you bring a depth of faith and experience that we could only dream of. Because we haven't lived it. And I'm, I'm going to embarrass you unashamedly. If you're in this room and you... I don't know, you've been a Christian for 20 years. Just pop your hand up. You've faithfully been a Christian for 20. Look at that, guys. Okay. Keep your hand up if it's 30 years. Keep your hands up if it's 40 years. Keep your hands up if it's 50 years. Keep looking around, guys. Put your, keep your hands up. Where did I get to? 50, okay. Put your hands up if it's 60 years. Oh my God. 70 years. I hope if you are like me, you looked around the room and you spotted them. Go and hound them. Go and ask them to meet you for a coffee. Ask them to tell you their stories. Ask them to pray for you. Ask them to speak life into you. Ask them to champion you on. Ask them to pass the baton. 
Let's honor our mighty oaks because they bring something. And Daniel, you guys are full of character. Those years you have spent faithfully serving God. Let us learn from you. So I honor you today. Thank you. And may I hope that I get to faithfully serve God for many, many years. And that I too get to champion the generations that are going to come after me. God's stories. We heard a few earlier. And that kind of leads on the importance of God's stories. Um, I didn't share it, but I shared it this morning. Is um, I didn't go to color, um, but I do have a testimony. Um, my friend Jo, Jo Foster, she's our all singing, all dancing children's pastor. Um, but I've known Jo for a long time. And Jo, um, if you don't know, um, my husband and I, we've been trying for a baby for 15 years. And um, anyway, she came and like, literally like, jumped on me this morning. She's like, I've got to tell you something, I've got to tell you something, I've got to tell you something. Now, she had been to colour, and she's like, this is amazing, Han. She said, um, during the weekend, they got up at this one point and um, they were sharing like testimonies of these miracle babies. And she said, amazingly, it was from something that happened in colour last year. She said, last year, Bobby Houston, who's the head of it, had this prophetic word um, about Hannah wailing and crying out for a baby. And she got everybody in the arena to stand up if they were trying for a baby or knew of someone that was trying for a baby. And she said, Hannah, she said, I never told you this, but she said, in that moment, I stood for you. And she said, I stood, and she said, I wept, and I cried out to God that um, he would honor the promise that you were given. And she said, I know I never told you. And um, she went with my other friend. She said, I even dragged up Jackie. And she said, we stood there. And she's like, come on, God, bring it on. And she said, I didn't really think about it until this weekend. And she said, suddenly they did this session where um, they had brought in these testimonies of women. And apparently there's hundreds of babies that have been born and are being born. Um, And also um, women that feel a call to adoption. Can I say... I am standing here now. I am 30 weeks pregnant, Um, you know? And I think there's something about that, isn't there? There's something about sharing those God stories. And if you have been waiting for something for a long time, can I stand here today and say, hold on in there? Because when God promises something, it's always true. And it's always always amen, sorry. Sometimes it just takes a bit of time. And um, what an incredible blessing to have an amazing friend. Um, but again, not even in my notes, just wanted to share that. God's stories. And I wonder when Daniel was on his knees and he's praying to God and he's given his thanksgiving, I wonder in that moment he was reminded of a God story from maybe 40 years, 60 years prior of his three mates that got took into captivity with him, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, 60 years prior to the moment where Daniel faces the lion's den. I wonder in that moment if he wasn't reminded of when his three, three closest friends faced the fiery furnace. I, remember, I wonder if he just remembered it and recalled it, and in that moment said, God, do you remember what you did 60 years ago? Would you do that again? There's something incredible about God's stories. 
You might hear a God story and you think, oh, that's really nice, but it's no relevant to my life. Can I encourage you just to take it on? Because who knows what you'll be facing in 20 years' time, in 30 years' time, in 40 years' time. There is something precious when we share our stories, when we share what God is doing. Let's be a people that share God's stories. Daniel was a man of great character and a man of great influence. Enough so that all three kings changed their perception, even about Daniel, but more importantly, about the God that he served. Enough so that Darius, on, when he realizes that Daniel has been saved by God, he sends a decree out across the whole of the kingdom and says, you will fear and reverence the God of Daniel. He was a man of influence. And just through his actions, just through the way that he chose to live his life, people saw something in him and they came to know his God. As I said before, if you are living and breathing in this room, you have a sphere of influence. If you're a parent, you have a sphere of influence over your children. If you are at college, if you're at uni, if you're at school, you have a sphere of influence with your friends, with your classmates. If you work, you have a sphere of influence with your colleagues. We all have it. If you live in a house that has neighbors, you have a sphere of influence. And if you live on an island, but you have Facebook, you have a sphere of influence. We all have one. And I wonder if our message tonight, what can we learn from Daniel? Daniel had great character. And I don't believe he was someone special. Well, he was, but you know what I mean. I believe that that kind of character, that godly character, any one of us in this room can live in that way. And I believe, truly believe that God wants each one of us to be little Daniels in our sphere of influence. And I do believe that it starts by hanging out in the presence of God. The more we do it, the more he will change us and the more he will shape us. And who knows where we'll be in years to come. Might have the next prime minister in this room. You never know. I'm going to finish two questions. Last week, Tim asked, where has God positioned you and I? Where has God positioned you? He's positioned every single one of us in a neighborhood, in a family, in a workplace. We've all been positioned. And the tonight's question would be, is what influence do you want to have on those around you? in your place that God has positioned you. And you know what? We might never be famous. We might never invent donuts. But you might be an incredible friend. You might be a teacher or a head teacher that has little nightmares of kids like me that in 20 years' time will be completely oblivious. But who knows? So I ask it again, is what influence do you want to have on those around you?